<coughs> a reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, <coughs> verses 1 through 6. I want to invite you, if you would like to, to close your eyes and use your imagination for this. Picture this in your mind's eye. Uh, all are welcome, no one's required, of course. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. She will dwell with them. They will be her peoples. And God herself will be with them and will be their God. She will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne this one said, See, I am making all things new. Also, she said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then she said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. The word of the Lord. I should probably get my iPad with my notes on it. <laughs> okay, so we're going to open with a discussion. Uh, can you think of a time when you had a vision for something? A vision for a preferred future. Uh, this could be like a, you know, personal goal. Uh, it could be a work thing or a family thing. Sometime you had some image in your head. It could be a renovation project or an art project. How? So think think of a time you had a vision for something. You you could see something the way you wanted it to be in the future. How did that vision function? For you, what was the purpose? What what purpose did that vision serve for you? The vision itself. It was inspiration because I could see what it's going to be like and also what it was, and it's like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. Okay. So, inspiration. Yes.
so I feel like perhaps this is an Enneagram 3 thing, but this is like the water I swim in, man. Like, <laughs> hey, 3 to 3. That's right. That's right. Uh, my whole life is just uh, visioning uh, for, for the future. That's definitely my preferred state of, uh, you know, mental uh, being, yes. Uh, some would say maybe too much. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think for me, Probably. So at first I was like, I don't know of a time that I've ever done. And then I was like, wait, no, that's all I do. Wait, yes, I, do it. <laughs> I do it so much that it doesn't even stand out to me. He's <laughs> having a vision of all of his visions. Right that's right. Now. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 And I guess, you know, so it's hard to say, like, you know, why am I the way I am? I feel like this is a referendum on, on my personality, like, <laughs> suddenly. But We're asking I, this question at you. Right, yeah. right. I've gotten very existential in the moment here. <laughs> But I think the thing I was perhaps of what appeals to me of having visions is it, it I think is my way of being a little bit of a, like a reformer. I, I really, I see things that I don't like in the present and then I envision the way that thing might be different, uh, in the future. And so dwelling on this future thing that is, is different and then thinking about the steps or the goals or whatever it is about you know, my professional life or my personal life or, all of these other things, um, because then you get checklists that come, and there's nothing I love more than checklists. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's this way of imagining this future yeah. state that is improving upon the current, yeah. Um, yeah. and that is, uh, yeah, that's definitely. I think so. For me, that's that's how I would use that vision. Okay, I love it. So it's kind of the I heard you saying reformer, reforming the 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 tension between what is and what could be, what needs to be different, and then the, the steps, the actions. There's something about this vision that draws you toward it, like very concretely with task lists mm-hmm. and stuff. Like you want to live into that, right? Yes. And then the fallacy, I'll just briefly add. <laughs> the fallacy is that there's a destination where you achieved all of that. Uh, yeah. That's the space I'm having We're, to sit as an Enneagram 3. I think Sarah once shared with me the, the term that an Enneagram 3 is, is climbing a, a series of mountaintops. And, and you, you're constantly going, as soon as I get to the top of this next mountain, that will be the mountain that I've climbed. And then you get there and then you realize there's just a sea of mountain range in the future. <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah, I don't believe that all that's false. You do get to the mountain. It's the next one. (laughs) That's right. We just haven't gone there yet. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Okay, uh, next question. What about a time when it was someone else's vision uh, for a preferred future? And you believed in it. You supported it. You, You joined them in pursuing it. Maybe a boss or a pastor, hypothetically, or a friend... Uh, how did the way you related to their vision compare to the way you've related to your own? Does that make sense? And and please, the more candor, the better, because I, I want to use this later. <laughs> candor? <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> uh, kind of goes through stages, and I'm kind of answering both questions at the same time. Great. Kind of goes through stages because, yes, inspiration. And and then I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I kind of get this dose of reality of, I'm sure everyone has heard the the phrase, you know, the best laid plans make God laugh. Mm-hmm. 
so, I don't know. Just kind of a, a, a gentle, weirdly gentle reminder that it's not going to work out the way I want it to or think it's going to or whatever. And then it, that relates, you know, about, yeah, I can get inspired by anyone and, and a vision or whatever. And, you know, just, like I said, just a gentle reminder that, that I'm, I don't know. I don't have it figured out. Yeah. And nobody really does. So I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, there's there's some, am I hearing you right? There's some like, oh, suspicion that, that eh, I mean, or or just the, the realistic belief that kind of to Miles's point, this isn't going to this, this won't work out exactly like we see it or envision it. We, we really can't control things the way that we would hope to. Yeah. I hate to hear that. <laughs> Sarah Holland. Uh, so interestingly enough, it's sometimes easier for me to, um, to see someone else's vision and, and figure out how to put that into action than to come up with my own. Yeah. And so, um, uh, my, my word of the year is operationalize. That's like, mm. like, that's like what I like to do. It's like somebody else is like, Oh, we should do this. I'm like, Oh, okay. So now I've taken that idea and I can figure out how do we get there. Mm. But coming up with that idea, that's, that's something that I have, I have a hard time with. Gotcha. So you're, you're an operationalizer. You, <laughs> you, you don't come naturally maybe to the big, big picture vision, yeah. but whereas visionaries might struggle to be like, okay, what, do, how do we actually do this? Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, here's our plan. Yeah, Let's, yeah, yeah. And you you commit yourself to a vision in that way, mm-hmm. like you're you're going it. Let's do this. Let's yeah. figure this out. Yeah. That's great. Anybody else? Thanks, Ted. Yeah. So for for me, I I hadn't thought about this before, but. When I get caught up in somebody else's vision, what I tend to do is just incorporate it into my own. Uh-huh. And so either see it as a, as a means to achieving what I'm after uh-huh. or, or even not even reframing mine in context of that. But like it's, I'm not, it's not that I'm adopting somebody else's vision. It's that, no, that's what I was, that's, that was mine already anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, hey, little guy, come here under my vision. That's great. Interesting. Yeah, I feel similarly to Ted and then also like a vision judger. Like like oh, you're 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 oh, Ted, maybe you hint at this a little bit. I don't know. There's a part of you that 
that either withholds or pulls back a little bit because you're like, well, it's their vision, it's not mine. And if it fails, it's on them, it's not on me. <laughs> um, so there's some safety in that. And maybe even some distance, maybe you don't commit even all the way to it because, because I, at the end of the day, the buck's. Anybody feel that anytime? Okay, I can 100% okay. feel that as well. And also when it's like, I will feel that way if it's like, well, this person is the one that has the responsibility for it. So while I like aspects of their visions, kind of like Ted's saying, there's stuff I might do differently, but yeah. I'm not in the position to do it yet. So I'm going to kind of tamper that mm. And keep some distance, uh -huh. maybe. Yeah, yeah, I can I can resonate with that. That's fair. Okay, um, cool. Uh, I'll use that against you later. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> uh, okay, so our text today, uh, Revelation twenty one one through six, is a part of the, these final two chapters of John's apocalypse, his vision, his revelation uh, it is um, it's the vision of all visions it is the dream of all dreams uh, it is a vision of a preferred future namely god's preferred future at least as john perceives it uh, it's the culmination of the entire book of revelation it's the culmination of the new testament and all of scripture uh, it's the next act uh, in the cosmic drama toward which everything is heading, at least in the story of Jesus, in the story of the church, in the story of God and Israel. Uh, I want to, I want to take a little time to notice what's happening in this text. If you want to pull it up and look at it, or if you just want to hear me reflect back, I mean, this is a familiar text. It's in a ton of songs. So, I mean, this, uh, a lot of it's not new, but a lot of it is, oh, I, um, I think misused in ways that we've talked about up to this point. Uh, so I want to notice a few things about what's happening here. Um, number one, this is a vision for a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, and this is channeling the prophet Isaiah, especially the very end of Isaiah chapter, chapter 65 and 66. Isaiah is prophesying about a time when God will bring the new heavens and the new earth. And here's this vision where God is actually doing that. It is, this is like the fulfillment of this, uh, Isaiah's prophecy from centuries before. Uh, but, but here it's this present reality. So new heavens and new earth. Uh, it doesn't mean that the old one is obliterated and destroyed as much as the old heavens and earth are transformed. Uh, it, it isn't, uh, it isn't the destruction of everything. Uh, burn it in fire as in put it in the trash can. Now there is some language in first or second Peter about the world being burned and purged. I'd want to see that. I, I interpret that as like, uh, refining, purifying. That, that's part of the transformation process that this cosmos will experience, um, in the new heavens and the earth, new, the new earth. So, so it's transformed where, where God and humanity and creation all live together in harmony. It is the marriage of heaven and earth. It's the merging of those two worlds. It's the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that 
uh, God's will would be done. The kingdom of God would be, would come on earth as it is in heaven. Earth and heaven merge together in this vision. Uh, another thing to notice is that this is a very material, physical, earthy vision. None of this I'll fly away nonsense that that's imported from other philosophies and traditions. Um, there will be bodies and dirt and smells and gardens and stuff in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, we're, we're not being charted away on a spiritual ethereal bus to go to heaven someplace in the sky. That's not the vision of revelation. The vision of revelation is the transformation of the cosmos. It, it is, it is, uh, more material. It, it's material in full. It is beautiful material. It's the best of what we experience in material things. Another note, what began as a garden in Genesis, it ends with a garden city. It doesn't return to this pristine state before where it's just a garden and it's just a couple of people and animals like here we have civilization. We have, we have a city. We have the city of God, which I think is really important because for a long time cities were kind of demonized. That's where all the evil happens and the crime. And, you know, uh, this says to us that, that cities are not inherently evil. The culture and civilization and the way that humanity builds things and connects and collaborates, uh, is not inherently evil. That can be holy. And this future vision is a vision of a holy city. And more than that, uh, it's, it's multinational. It's multi-ethnic. It's multicultural. It is, it is the joining and unifying and coexistence of all of these beautiful expressions of of ethnicity and nationality together. Not the obliteration of them, not the melting of them, but the salad bowling of them. They come together and they make, each component makes the other parts better. Um, this vision is marked by absence as much as it's marked by presence. The absence of tears and grief. Uh, did you notice that the sea goes away? What's up with that? Why, we, right, seas are beautiful. So what's happening there, ancient Near Eastern culture, even in the Genesis text, the sea is a symbol of chaos. The sea is a, the, the, the monster of the sea, the Rahab, the, the end of Job. Uh, again and again in the Hebrew Bible, the sea is the symbol for chaos. So I don't think it means that water goes away, but it means that, that things are ordered and, and terrible, awful, random shit doesn't happen. Anymore to people. Isn't that in Genesis the divider from God and man? And he separates the waters. Yep. And so to get rid of that would be to reconnect God. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. That's great. Yeah. And that the Genesis story is against the backdrop of all of these creation narratives where they're, they're trying to figure out what to do to domesticate chaos. And so God domesticates chaos in creation and then uh, and then says goodbye to it in the new heavens and the new earth. There's no more chaos anymore. Uh, finally, this vision is God's. This is something that God is doing. The one on the throne is making all things new. It is a gift 
for humanity to receive, like a thirsty traveler receiving a free cup of cold water. So, so John is writing this vision up as a letter to share with the churches in Turkey who are amid uh, suffering and ostracization. They're amid the social pressures of the, the Roman imperial cult and feeling pressure to come into all of the culture and social activities around exalting Rome and its deity and, and that it's the salvation of the world. And when they refuse, they're punished for it, right? They're dealing with all of these tensions and sometimes it's their own persecution and downfall um, and suffering as a result. How do you imagine John hopes this vision functions? For those churches, this vision of new heavens and new earth. If that's John's audience, what do you think he's, how do you think he's hoping this vision functions for those churches? So one thing, first I was thinking about, you know, that idea of city, you know, being the bad, this is on, right? Oh, press it again. Sorry. We can't hear it. Yeah. Lana. La. Oh, I heard a click. Lala. I mean, the lights are on. Yeah. La. Oh, there it is. Whoa. Jeez. Okay. Golly, Jen. <laughs> well, if you're at a 10, we need you at a 2. <laughs> what was I going to say, man? I'm sorry. Um, okay. How, how would this vision function for those churches? Um, okay, so first I was thinking like, oh, city's evil. Um, but no, city's not evil. And then I was thinking the idea between um, uh, like uh, our focus not being what's bad or what not to do, but a focused like goodness and, you know, like, uh, you get a yeah, yeah, not, not what not to do, but like, uh, being drawn toward the good. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yes. How might John have wanted this vision to function for those churches as they were struggling? To give them a vision of the good, to be drawn toward. I I think it was, you know, trying to instill hope. Like uh-huh. there's there's hope for something that's you know, this isn't what we're seeing right now, but there's hope that that will always be the case. Yes. Word. When I first read this, it's really hard not to kind of go with like a more escapist view of like, oh, oh yeah. things are bad here, but don't worry, one day they won't be bad. Yeah. And I actually don't really find that helpful because it's like, okay, well, um, it still sucks right now. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, as I was thinking about it, I think it's 
I like Sarah saying it's hope, but it's not just hope that one day things won't be bad. Uh It's hope that like, like when it talks about how like there's a new heaven and a new earth, but it's part of the old heaven and the old earth. It's like, there's still something good here. Yeah. There is still good here. Like the hope is like, let's look for that good. That's right now. Yeah. Like, and there's hope that like, it will become easier and more prevalent. And then we will see it more often. But even when we're in like the shadows, there's still goodness that we can, that we can see. And the hope is like, let me be able to see those things. Mm, That's good. Y'all are preaching a great sermon. Um, Michael Gorman is the scholar who I'm reading, uh, alongside of Revelation and his, his book, Reading Revelation Responsibly. Um, I, with or without alcohol, I'm not sure what, what, um, what he intends. Um, but he notes that there are two extremes when it comes to responding to this vision. Uh, one is, Val, what you mentioned, uh, passivity, to use this as an escapist text, to say that, oh, well, God does it, and we just, we just wait and be faithful and make sure that we've got our ticket to heaven. And, and hopefully we'll endure, uh, until God makes things right, which, I just want to notice that that is a lot easier for folks like us in this room who are middle class and reasonably privileged. Uh, it's easier. Uh, and and I, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe it's not. But it feels easier to, to use escapism as a route to live life however the heck I want to live it. Because um, it's actually going okay for me. I'm, I'm, I'm not at the margins of suffering a lot of the time. Um, and so I can just say, Hey, I want to be good with God. God's going to do God's thing and I'll be passive toward this future vision. So that's one extreme. Um, the other extreme is overreach. I'll, I'll call it overreach. Uh, it is a sense that we have to implement this. It's up to us. It is our responsibility. This doesn't happen unless we, the church, or we, the activists, get out there and stir it up and organize and do something about it. Uh, it, it takes total responsibility for this vision. And, and, and I think part of that responsibility is all of the, the attending anxiety and, uh, exhaustion that come along with feeling the weight of of implementing this vision in our own strength and ingenuity. So the um, there's a place somewhere in the middle of these two extremes, Gorman says, and it's what Re- Revelation would call witness or faithful witness. Faithful witness believes that God is the primary mover the primary initiator, the, the, the achiever of the final vision. This is God's vision. It is God. It's the one on the throne and the lamb 
who are, in fact, making all things new. Uh, Faithful witness also participates in this vision. So it's not enough just to to say, well, God's going to do it. Uh, Faithful witness witnesses to the reality that's coming by participating in it in the present with that for looking looking for signs of hope that are raising their head in our neighborhoods right now in the here and now leaning in and resisting empire resisting violence resisting subjugation and oppression uh embodying in our community th- this very community uh hospitality and inclusion and identification and proximity to folks who are at the margins we we lean in and participate and anticipate the coming new heavens and new earth, seeking shalom and love and peace and justice. This faithful witness finally releases the outcomes to God. That's that's the flip side. The sandwich of God being the mover is that is this is God's vision. We participate in it, but we release the outcomes to God. Which I was I was talking with an activist. In fact, I've talked to a number of church leaders. I've talked to myself about this. I talked to an activist just this week who is a brilliant community organizer. Uh, and I, I shared Elaine Heath's contemplative stance. You know, I, uh, we want to pay, a, uh, we want to show up, pay attention, join in with God and then release the outcomes. And almost every single, especially white male that I share that with, when I get to release the outcomes, they're like, ooh, I liked that until you got to the last part. Release the outcomes. That's hard, right? The, uh, and that is, that's the, that's the, that's the territory we try to navigate where we, we faithfully witness. We believe that God is on the throne, that God is initiating and moving to make all things new. We participate, but we don't participate in a way that tries to manage the outcomes to try to achieve it ourselves. We get in the flow. We release the outcomes to God. Now, I mean, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. The Holy Spirit help us. Um, I think that's what it means for us to be a faithful witness to this vision. I'm curious in light of, uh, these extremes and this, this middle ground of faithful witness, assess yourself, uh, assess our community. Um, what are our tendencies? What do we need to hear from Revelation today? Um, I love Dr. Heath's fourfold yes, contemplative stance. I love it so much. Um, for me... I think since I came out of a tradition that was more escapist, I've moved away from that. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the challenge I have is overreach. Is that what, Uh um, it's releasing those outcomes, right? It's like, you're like, show up, pay attention, join with God. Yes, yes. Yes. And then you get to release the outcomes and you're like, Ooh, but are we sure that's okay? Like, what if it doesn't, you know, like, don't we need to ensure that it works out? And it's like, no, like that's God's job. And that for me, releasing the outcomes, I feel like is the hardest thing. And I think feelings of like, like burnout often come 
from trying to hold those outcomes ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great word. You've prompted a response from your husband. (laughs) (laughs) It's both hands. (laughs) I, um, no, I've been thinking a lot of thoughts. And so I've got kind of two separate ones to share related to all of this. I mean, yes, I've been really like my first reading this morning when we like read through this passage was actually like very triggering to me. Hmm. Um, with a lot of negative emotions um, of the way that this like passage has been used um, in this like escapist mentality. Yep. And I feel like there are sectors of the church that have used this to, um, you know, I mean, I'm mindful, like right now I have one of my tabs open on my phone is the, the ERCOT energy grid and, and how close we are getting Ooh. to rolling blackouts. So we were close yesterday y'all and it's not looking good for today. Oh boy. Uh, so like, I put it up to 78. I'm sure that made a difference. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so even like the, 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 like pa- the like phrase that like my like negative energy triggering turned on was the sea has passed away. Mm. And I was like, and, and so I'm actually really glad we unpacked it. Cause now I feel way better about that yeah, section. Yeah, 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 and I like yeah, it now, yeah, yeah. but even that I was like, yeah, like, this is what we've got people out there preaching that like, who cares about the ocean? Who cares about climate change? Who cares about pollution? It's going to pass away, right? You get to just wad it up and throw it in the trash can and fly away to somewhere else. And so who are we to be, you know, worrying about this kind of stuff? And, you know, so then that was in my sort of inner turmoil, you know, giving way to, um, I was thinking about, I think even the way as like white middle-class people, we, we wield escapism with privilege yeah. Um, because I think there's an alternative current of escapism that runs through our friends of color, mm-hmm. our friends of oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about civil rights movement or slavery or things like that, there is a vein of escapism yeah. of relying and clinging to faith in God to yeah. get myself through these challenging times. There's a very different yes. and very valid. That, that's almost like a traumatic disassociation, like, yeah. like, uh, to protect myself, I have to like create another reality that I yeah. can live in because yeah. it's too painful. Right. Yeah. Right. That's very different. Right. Than our middle class. Right. Escapism. And so I'm like, ah, even I don't even wield escapism <laughs> the right way. I only do it with privilege. <laughs> and so, so then sort of dwelling with that. And then, then the other thought I've been thinking that I wanted to share was it was uh, going back originally to Ted, what you said about seeing someone else's vision and then thinking about how it fits into my vision. And then that challenges how much I'm on board with it, whether I think it'll damage me. And the, the phrase or the thing that I was coming back to with that is I think the intersection between my vision and someone else's vision is ego. And it's my mm-hmm. perception of myself and where I am positioned in this world and whether I have something to gain or be lost from these intersections of vision. Yeah. Uh, and if my ego is in alignment, you know, then I may come alongside this vision, absorb it into my own. And if my ego feels threatened, um, or like I have more to lose than to gain, I may reject that vision. Hmm. And when people share, uh, in various ways, these, these sort of transcendental moments in their lives, um, especially around God and religion, um, whether it's through deep meditation or, um, you know, sort of this, this pinnacle moment, 
um, through mushrooms. Uh, <laughs> but when people talk about these transcendental moments, they talk about the dissolution of their ego. And that being the thing, this ability to separate and disassociate from their ego and to see themselves. You know, people often, uh, I've not had this experience personally, but from the stories people have said, they, they see themselves merging is usually the verb that they often mm-hmm. use this, this merging with that. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about that today of like, you know, I hold on to my ego so tightly in the way I view God's vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to think of a way like, What's a, what's a mantra, like a phrase that sums up that, that resistance from me through my ego to fail to merge with God's vision. Mm. And I think it's released the outcomes. Mm. That's my, that's my challenge to me is my ego doesn't want to release the outcomes. My ego has my vision Mm. and the intersection with God's vision. (laughs) Wow. And that's what I've been wrestling with. Henry now and in the flesh today. You are. (laughs) You're bringing the contemplative heat today, man. I love it. You... Okay, John. Yeah. Yeah, during my complicated spiritual journey, I've been uh, in different denominations, different different uh, churches, and uh, and been a part of it, and been caught up in it, and the Charismatics and the Baptists are really in the in the whole rapture thing and we'll, we'll fly away. And that's a lot of their songs and their theology and their expect and their conversations away from Sundays is all about everything's going crazy and looky, looky at the news. Therefore this is the end days and, and this could be the end. And so, and, and there's nothing we can do, nothing we can do. Just watch all the madness and hope that the fat lady will sing. We'll get this thing done. Been there, done that lots of times. Been to, been in missions conferences, especially the ones that want to get you motivated to give to missions and want to get you excited about Bible translations, they're saying, if we can just witness to the last one, we will make the end come. So we've got to go and translate more, and we've got to go and witness to, to all these unreached people groups. Then the end will come. So come on board and give another dollar you know, and pray hard for us because we're in charge of making the income. I went, really? Really, really, really? Wow. And so middle ground for me is summarized elegantly in the last slide of storyline, the commissioning, to go and be a witness, right? And, and the verse that, that you, that you, that was read today about love one another. We, I mean, we're here to, to agape each other, golly molly. And that means the least. That means the family of God. So hang there and let these other bozos have the extremes of the spectrum all to themselves. Thank you. Pass. John. All right. Last one. Final word. Yeah. So when I think about being in charge of the outcomes, I think about the kind of Christianity I grew up with, which was a sales pitch and you got to wrap it up and you got to bring them in. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like releasing the outcomes then feels like, Oh my goodness. Like I am not responsible for that. Oh, that like, it's such a relief. Like, I'm just going to do my part and whatever is, is, and that's not my responsibility. That's mm. the best. Mm. Yes. That is a, 
that is a great posture from which to participate in what God is doing in the world. I feel like the best thing happen, best things happen when we're able to enter our neighborhoods with that kind of open hand. I'm here just to show up and join in and let what happened happens. Most of the time, I think I mess things up because I'm, I do things out of wanting to, oh, let me just nudge the outcome a little bit over here. Ah, oh, I pushed them away because of that. Yeah. Uh, hear the good news. God says to us, I am making all things new. I am making all things new right now in the present and one day fully and finally. And you can come along, join in, participate with me and have the peace that I, I, God, am making all things new. I'm doing it. I will do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this vision. Help us live faithfully to you and to this vision of a new heavens and a new earth. And the day when, um, when chaos will be edged out, when evil and loss and suffering will be no more, when, when what happened at the Buffalo Mart will not happen any longer, when all the weapons and and tools of death and destruction will be will be melted into uh tools for artists and gardeners when shalom and justice and love and you will reign overall help us to be faithful witnesses to that vision to trust that you are initiating that you are moving toward that end to join in with you give us eyes to see how we might do that in our neighborhoods and with our neighbors. God, we, we pray your blessing on them today. And give us, give us courage and faith and strength in your Holy Spirit to have open hands toward the outcomes, uh, to help water, to help plant, but to let you do the growing. We, uh, entrust ourselves to you and to the timer in Jesus name. Amen.